The movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind features a man who tries to have his memory erased via a sci-fi contraption, but you can actually do it at home. And then we take a look at an urban legend that is spread around all over the world. But the origins of it are frighteningly real. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Don't have a lot of time to record this episode. I actually have to go do some grocery shopping for one of my jobs. Have to run out, go do grocery shopping, then run off to another job, and then come back to this other job. It is the plight of someone who works three part-time jobs, but... What are you going to do? And I got to put out a daily podcast, so you just kind of got to bite down. It didn't help that I spent the last half hour um, listening to Kimbra songs. I've never really listened to her before. I've always thought she was pretty cute. She was in that Gautier song. And I was like, oh, she actually has some pretty good music. So I'm getting all that. I walk a lot, so I need as much music as I can. So I was listening to a bunch of her songs and downloading them and all that. But anyway, so for the rest of the day, I'll be listening to Kimbra and walking around doing grocery shopping, running errands, and so on and so forth. But before I do all that, i got to cover two stories for you guys. So the first story we're going to look at, I said in the intro, so there is that movie called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, and I think uh, Frodo is in it too. But I didn't like that movie. I I wasn't a huge fan of it. I heard a lot of hype about it. It was really... I think you could almost, like, that movie was proto-hipster movie. I think it kind of preceded the hipster movement. But I ended up watching it, and I shut it off halfway through. I just wasn't that entertained by it. And I, I, I appreciate Jim Carrey's early stuff. And he has he done anything? I'll see him in the Sonic movie. I'll watch that. I mean, he he's a little weird in real life, but his movies are, are decent. Good to decent movies. He hasn't made anything really terrible. I never saw number 23. I actually should watch that, because that really is kind of the conspiracy type movie and it's kind of what the show's about but maybe i'll give it a shot anyways so it had jim carrey and kate winslet who's super hot and then frodo baggins was in it he was looking for the ring and he didn't find it in that movie but he found it in another movie so the the concept is this this guy has a horrible breakup with a girl and there's this device that allows your memory i think there's a musical number in it maybe i maybe i'm getting it confused there was some other hot chick in it who's uh mary jane from spider-man she was also a cheerleader in Bring It On. <laughs> My depth of movie knowledge is what the actors have been in before. So I'm like, oh, it's the movie starring The Mask and Rose from Titanic. They f- meet Frodo and Mary Jane Watson, and they go on this crazy adventure and get their minds erased. This machine allows you to erase your mind. One of the interesting thing, the only interesting thing about the movie is that would you want to have memories erased? Would you want bad memories to be erased? You know, one of the weird things, I know I'm digressing here, but one of the weird things about like dying and going to heaven, I've always felt, is that you're supposed to go to heaven and you're at total peace and joy, but part of what's informed me, part of what's created me as a human is my bad memories, is the sorrow I've gone through. And I feel like that is baked into the cake that is Jason Carpenter. So can you take out the bad memories and still be the same person? Or would you want to take out the bad memories, knowing that you would, wouldn't even remember the good stuff? But as, as much as that is a sci-fi slash philosophical argument, you can actually do it at home. Here's a disclaimer. Don't do this. Don't do this. But it's possible. But don't do it, because it's actually quite dangerous. I came across this article recently, and what it is, is this man in China posted on the net 
So right there, it's super vague. We don't have a lot of resources, but other scientists, other doctors have chimed in on this. A man on the internet in China said his mom was really constipated for like two weeks, going to go to the bathroom at all. And then one time she went into the bathroom, and she was in there for a long time, and she finally had a bowel movement. And when she came out of the bathroom, she didn't remember the past 10 years of her life. They couldn't figure out what was going on. She had no idea what happened the past 10 years of her life. She's like, hey, you want to go to the World Trade Center? They're like, mom, mom, sit down. We have something to tell you. Actually, that would have been farther back than 10 years. But anyways, the family had to sit her down and tell her, like, what's going on? And she's like, no, no, I got all this money invested in Enron. We're rich. We're millionaires. And they're like, mom, mom, we think we need to go to the doctor. So they took her to the doctor. And what happened was the doctor diagnosed her with amnesia, but it only lasted for eight hours. So for eight hours, she couldn't remember the past 10 years of her life. Now, this was reported in the media and the news article in China. There's two versions of this article. One is from the China Times, and we'll get to that in a second. And then one is in this website called The Week of Buzz, which seemed really clickbaity. So I had to go to the China Times to find out if it was actually published or true or anything like that. And in the China Times, they quoted this neurosurgeon who says, yes, it is possible because when you're having a big bowel movement, you can actually start to cut off blood flow to your jugular vein, which will interfere with your brain, which you're not getting enough blood flow to your brain, so it will begin to wipe out memories if the bowel movement is big enough. So yes, it is possible, and it does happen. It's not incredibly common, but it does happen. I had a cousin one day who... One day her husband came home and she was laying on the floor and she thought she was still in high school. She didn't remember anything. And they never could. And and after about a year or two, she regained her memories. But she ended up going to the doctor and the doctor's like, we don't know what it is, but she appears to have lost her memory. Now, there were people in the family who thought she was faking it. I actually ran into her shortly after this happened. And I remember looking at her and she looked different. There was something about her eyes. I go, I don't think she's faking it. Because just by looking in her eyes, you could tell there was something different about her. Now, she might have just suffered mild brain damage. She may have made the whole thing up. But I, I think she probably did suffer some mild brain damage. And she actually did lose her memory. But I don't know if she was super constipated before that. They just found her on the floor. So let's go to the chi- So it is a legit thing. It actually can happen to people. But now this next segment you might think is a little culturally insensitive. But, but... The next story we're going to cover is quite grim, so I figured let's pack as many as funny moments into this next couple minutes, because what we're going to get into is pretty dark. So I go to the China Times. Now, I have to run the translate option, obviously, because I don't speak Chinese. Now, I actually do have a lot of Chinese members of my family. A lot of uh, members of my family, my stepmom and my stepbrother and and sisters and stuff like that, are Chinese. Step-grandpa, all that stuff. Are there such a thing as a step-grandpa, or at a certain point, you just go, ah, it's my grandpa. But anyways, I have a lot of family members who are from China. So I don't speak Chinese myself. They probably could. But the translation errors when I'm running this translate, and I don't get these a lot when I'm running translation from English to like on Spanish websites, which I have to go to a lot. There's some great gems here. Again, you might go, Jason, that's kind of rude, but we're going to get into some dark stuff. The headline of the China Times article. So for comparison, this is the headline of the World Buzz article. Woman loses 10 years of memories after she pooped with excessive force. I'm like, oh, it's very clicky, very clickbaity. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting story for the podcast. Go to China Times. Here's the headline. Constipation. The toilet came out and lost 10 years of memory. Now, other than it grammatically being incorrect, the toilet didn't lose memory and the toilet didn't come out. Quite an odd phrasing for it. 
you poop and another toilet comes out, and then you poop into that toilet and another smaller toilet comes out. It's a... I forgot what that name was. We covered it on our past episode, but when people keep looking into mirrors, they see multiple versions of themselves. It's that, but just toilets coming out of your butthole. And then they had these other great headlines here. Paper folding 103 times as big as the universe. What? What What does that even mean? He hasn't cut his hair for 50 years. He took his headgear like a giant clam. Oh, man. That guy's such a good dude. He took it like a giant clam. I'm assuming... Now, I clicked on that one because I was like, what does that even mean? And apparently, he hadn't cut his hair in 50 years and they just cut it and apparently looked like a giant clam. It didn't. It just looked like a giant pile of hair on the ground. But this headline I actually had to had to click on because I was like, what in the world? I understand the paper folding thing. It's probably saying you can't fold a piece of paper 103 times. I've heard that before, but you can't fold a piece of paper in half so many times, whatever. But this next headline I had to click on, do some research on. Under the flashlight, the white light is actually suffering from this disease. Like, what could that even possibly mean? So I guess this article is a girl, a mother, took a photo of her son, and when the white light flashed, his eyes looked really weird under the flash. And he actually suffered from some sort of eye cancer, and they caught it very early and were able to treat it. But, yeah. So that's what that headline means. Under the flashlight, the white light is actually suffering from this disease. Again, the white light's not suffering from anything. The toilet is not losing 10 years of memory. And you're not, the toilet come, the toilet doesn't come out of anything. It's there. It's in place. So thank you, China Times. And thank you, Google Translate, for these great headlines. And again, I don't recommend giving yourself constipation so you interfere with the blood flow to your brain. I highly don't recommend that. Because you could probably just give yourself a stroke. But it's still just an odd thing how how balanced our bodies are and how easily it is to interfere with them. This is obviously a temporary thing. Even if you did have a bad breakup within the past 10 years, you'll only buy yourself about 8 hours of solace. But then you're like, now I just have to make myself constipated all the time. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that at all. I actually don't even know how Eternal Sunshine ended. I don't know if he decided to remember her or not. I just gave up halfway through the movie. I'm pretty sure there's a musical number, though. I'm almost pretty sure there's a musical number with Kirsten Dunst. That was it. Dude, if you want to watch a great movie, Melancholy. I know there's a lot of people who aren't big fans of Lars von Trier, but ooh, that movie's great. And I know why people aren't good fans of his, because he made all those Nazi jokes during a press conference, and he's just cracking these jokes about Hitler, And Kirsten Dunst, star of Bring It On and the Spider-Man franchise, is sitting next to him, and she's like, oh my god. And he's cracking jokes about Hitler and Nazis in front of a bunch of posh film critics. But Lars von Trier, Melancholia. Melancholia, that was the name of the movie. The first half of the movie is an examination of a young woman's descent into depression. Kirsten Dunst has a nude scene in it as well, if you're not into the depression angle. The second half of the movie is one of the best end-of-the-world sci-fi films ever. Top five. I, I would honestly say ever, because it just shows the futility of mankind in the face of the entire universe. And I remember reading an article about Melancholia and Lars von Trier goes, that's one of my least favorite movies. It's one of my least favorite movies. One, because I was going through terrible depression while I was watching it, hence the point of the movie. And he goes, two, it's too good. Because I like my movies to have lots of flaws in them. I like to have like my movies to have mistakes in them. 
He goes, and I used a lot of tripods in this film, and I just don't like the way it came out. Beautiful movie. Very, very tragic film. And I would tell, I've told people too, just skip, just skip the first hour. If you're not into the examination of depression and loss, and I don't even think she loses anything. I think she's just going through a chemical depression. I go, if you're not into that, the first hour is pretty slow. I would, I loved it, but I love all of his stuff. Law, and this is my last thing I'm going to talk about this. Lars von Trier is great because he is a very art, he's like an art house movie maker who makes, takes schlocky genres. And he's done that, he's done that with his past, I wouldn't say past two movies, but Melancholia and Antichrist are both, Antichrist is a Cabin in the Woods horror movie made by an artistic genius. A, a, a lot of people don't like the way he portrays women either, and I totally get that. But um, it is a art house take on a straight-to-DVD horror movie. It's, it's brilliant. It's a man and a woman in a cabin in the woods. Absolutely terrifying film. Very, very grotesque. William Dafoe is in that one. Love that movie. And then Melancholia is basically Armageddon made by a, an amazing filmmaker. Not whoever made Armageddon. I think it might have been Michael Bay or Jerry Bruckheimer. But it was, it, he does these, he picks these genres that normally aren't touched by the arty, artsy community and makes makes these crazy films. I would love to see him do an action film. I would love to see him get Scott Atkins and Jean-Claude Van Damme and do an artistic take on a action film. Actually, his last movie was The House That Jack Built, which I haven't seen yet, but it is a serial killer film done in an art house way. I've seen clips from it, and it's quite ridiculous, but it's that same type of thing. So hats off to you, Lars von Trier, and hats off to the my audience, half of my audience that left because they absolutely hate that person. But I like him. Dogville, great movie. So anyways, let's go ahead and move on. Dogville's amazing, actually. But let's go ahead and move on. I never saw the sequel. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. So there is this old urban legend. It's probably one of the biggest urban legends, really. You have Bloody Mary, which is probably the top one. But the second urban legend is the babysitter in the house. And the story is this. She's at home babysitting the kid. There's a lot of versions of this, but really the main one that I always heard was there's a babysitter at home babysitting two kids. A kid, whatever. It doesn't matter how many kids there are. They're basically cannon fodder for this story. This babysitter is in this house, and she's getting crank calls to her phone, and then she calls up the police, and she says, can you track the phone call? And then the cops call her back and say, we tracked the phone call. The phone call's coming from within the house. And then the version I heard was then she went, this totally disturbed me as a kid. I think I first heard this when I was like eight or nine. The babysitter then goes upstairs and the kids are all chopped up. And I remember being specifically told their faces <laughs> looked like SpaghettiOs. And that really disturbed me because I loved SpaghettiOs. And it really creeped me out because it took something that I enjoyed eating. And for the longest time when I looked at a bowl of SpaghettiOs, I just would see like chopped up people. Because SpaghettiOs... Not just SpaghettiOs, but SpaghettiOs with hot dogs in them. It's very specific. Now, of course, you could not ever chop up a human body and make it look like SpaghettiOs with hot dogs in them. But, totally creeped me out. Now, that version of the story where the cops are tracing the phone call back and it's inside the house, that, we've heard all sorts of versions of that. But basically, the idea is the killer is in the house with the babysitter. We don't always get the traced phone call, but that's a common theme. Now, the story we're going to cover is actually something I had never heard of until about two or three weeks ago. And it's very, very chilling. Very chilling story. 
So we're going back in time. We're going back to the year 1950. We're in the city of Columbia, Missouri, and it's March 18th. There is a young babysitter. This is a 100% true story. There's a young babysitter named Janet Christman, and she's 13 years old. She turns 14 in three days. So you guys can already kind of know where this is going. You guys want to tune in tomorrow? It's totally fine. Janet is 13. She turns 14 in three days. She's trying to save up money to get a new dress for Easter. And she generally babysits for two different families. She babysits for the Romax, and she babysits for the Mullers. So this particular night, the Mullers and the Romax and a couple other families are going to go hang out and play cards. And Janet picks the job to go to the Romax house. And the Mullers have to find another babysitter. And she's at the Romax house, and they said, okay, listen, here's the thing. We have this little three-year-old boy named Gregory. We want you to take care of him. And she's like, I know how to do my job, guys. Don't, don't. They're like, no, we're just adding details. We're adding details for the story. And she's like, oh, that's weird. Details for who? So they say our little son Gregory's three years old. The house is kind of in the middle of nowhere. But let me show you some stuff. So Ed Romack, the, 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 the dad, the dad of the Romacks, says, here's my shotgun. Again, this is 1950s, so you would have no problem handing a shotgun to a 13-year-old girl. He showed her how to load it, unload it, and said, keep it by the door. If anyone knocks on the door, anyone at all, you lock the door, you turn on the porch light. Do not open the door for anybody. Puts the shotgun by the door, pats her on the head, says goodbye to his son. The Romax leave. That night, a massive rainstorm hits the area. Mid-20 degrees. So it's just ice and sleet everywhere. And Janet is just sitting at home doing her babysitting thing. Now, at 10.35, the police station in Columbia gets a phone call. Phone rings. Columbia police. This is, And they just hear a young girl go, Come quick! And the phone line goes dead. Cops sitting there, looking out the window. Seeing the rain and the ice. The wind whip across the street outside the police station. And the officer just sits there waiting for another phone call. They can't trace the phone call. I don't even know if they had the ability to trace phone calls back then. But the phone call was so short, with no information, they just had to hope they get another phone call. Now, while the Romax and the Mullers are out having this big party, Ann Romack, the wife, calls home. To see how everything's going. But it's it's really early in the morning. It's like around midnight. She calls home. No answer. So she goes, babysitter must be asleep. Gregory's probably asleep. Probably no big deal. At 1.35, the Romax pull up to their house. Rain still just pouring down. And they see in their headlights as their car's pulling up. They see that the porch light is on. They don't really think anything of it. Maybe she turned it on because she was scared because it was dark and it was stormy. Maybe not. But when Ed walks up to the house and he goes to unlock the door, the door is unlocked. And right when they walk into the house, they see the body of Janet on the ground. The carpet is soaked with her blood. They see, just in the brief time that they're looking before they start totally freaking out, she's obviously dead. She suffered some major head wounds and she's been stabbed multiple times. Anne sees that, and she freaks out, and then immediately runs upstairs to check on her son, totally safe, asleep. Not even aware of what was going on downstairs. Ed then goes to call the police, and the phone is off the hook. 
picks the phone up, dials the police. We need someone out here right away. Massive police presence shows up. They all show up. You just can't believe that this would happen anywhere, but it's happening in their town. The police show up. Now, part of the problem is, is that their house is kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's almost on the border of two different police jurisdictions. And so the Columbia police get involved and the police in the neighboring area get involved and they start vying for control over who gets to control this crime scene. Who's in charge of this murder? You have a bunch of cops walking around. You have conflicting orders between the police. All sorts of stuff. And that is kind of indicative of what's going to happen with this. This is what they start to put together. She seemed to have been stabbed with a mechanical pencil. She was strangled with a power cord from an iron. That's what eventually did her in. But she was pummeled in the head. She was stabbed multiple times with what appears to be a mechanical pencil. Which weren't super common back then. They're not even super common now. They actually quite suck. I've never seen the advantage of a mechanical pencil. But she suffered head wounds. She suffered stab wounds. Unfortunately, she had been sexually assaulted as well. The police are fighting over control of the crime scene. They're fighting for control of the case. And they're looking into this. And they don't have any immediate leads. There is a back window that is busted open. And there's some mud by like the back kitchen door. And so some cops are saying someone must have busted their way into the house. Got in, assaulted her, killed her. Other people are saying the fact that the porch light is on makes us think that someone came to the front door. And since the door was unlocked, it was probably somebody she knew. But in the midst of all this, they're trying to work this crime scene, trying to work this case. Eventually, one of the officers turns to someone else and says, Do you think this is related to the Mary Lou Jenkins case? Four years earlier, February 5th, 1946, Mary Lou Jenkins, 20 years old, she was staying at home alone. Her father was out of town and her mother was down the street taking care of an elderly couple. This is in the same town. The mom says, listen, if you run into any problems, open the shades, turn the light on and call me. Later that night, the mom looks out the window. She's in the house with the elderly people. She looks out the window. She looks down the street and she sees her house with the blinds open and the light on, but she didn't receive a phone call, so she thinks everything is fine. That seems like a weird warning system if you only, of all three things have to happen. Blinds have to be open, lights on, and a phone call? Like, you figured just two of the three would work, but she doesn't think anything's wrong. When she goes home later that night, she sees that her daughter was raped and strangled with an extension cord. There was a guy who, around the same time, murdered his own wife. And during a rather brutal police interrogation, he confessed to the rape and murder of Mary Lou Jenkins. So he was executed for that. He was executed for the murder of his wife. And on the date of his execution, he says, listen, I murdered my wife, but I didn't murder Mary Lou Jenkins. And no one believes him because he's a murderer and he's about to die. So, you know, it's not like he has the best credibility ever. But there were issues in this town. There were creepers. Now, she was killed in 1946, but there was kind of this underlying current of odd activity in this town. Now, three years after Mary Lou Jenkins' murder, there was a spate of peeping Tom activity in the town. Now, that makes me think, the fact that the mom was so paranoid saying, if anything went wrong, do these things, it makes me think that people were already a little on edge. Maybe it hadn't bubbled to the surface. Maybe people weren't aware of it. But in 1949... They had a bunch of peeping Tom activity that actually escalated into rape. A few days before Halloween in 1949, a 16-year-old girl was raped by a man wearing a white mask. 
Almost a month later, on November 29th, there was an attempted rape. And then the next day, a man in a white mask finds a couple in a car, robs the man, rapes the girl. So then a couple days later, on November 4th, a man was caught peeping outside of a house. He was subject to a rather brutal police interrogation, and he confesses to the rape and the attempted rape. Doesn't confess to the rape of the couple, but confesses to the rape and the attempted rape that happened just a couple months earlier. So the police in this town were kind of known for using extrajudicial interrogation methods. They weren't doing stuff by the book, and that would come to bite them in the butt in the end. So they've, at this point, they have solved all these other crimes they believe. The police believe that they know who's done these other crimes. So in 1950, though, they're looking at the body of Janet on the autopsy table. It appears she's been stabbed with a mechanical pencil several times. And so then the police are discussing it and they go, do you know anyone who uses a mechanical pencil? And the answer is yes. Yes, I do know of someone who's using a mechanical pencil. Not only do I know someone who often uses a mechanical pencil, they know Janet. In fact, Janet is one of their babysitters. Robert Muller, which is a bizarre name that this hasn't popped up more often because Robert Muller is now such a famous name, but Robert Muller was a tailor in town, a very, very successful man. He was always known to carry a mechanical pencil. Now, that's not enough to make you a suspect, but he was also known to have lewd conversations about young girls. Anne Romack said that Robert Mueller was the type of guy who used his hands, not his words, when dealing with women. Very, very gropey type of guy. Ed Romack said... Not only had he made lewd comments about young women, he would make comments about wanting to take a young girl's virginity, and he would make comments about how curvy Janet was becoming. The kind of comments that were making Ed a little nervous. Which makes me think that when Ed was saying, don't open the door for anyone, and here's where the shotgun is, almost makes me think he is saying, don't even open it for Robert Mueller. Just leave the door locked. Even if you know him, just leave it locked, turn the porch light on. But they're all out at a card game together. So Robert Mueller has a perfect alibi, right? As the cops started looking into him and started questioning, once he became the focus of this investigation, they they interviewed the people at the party. And the people at the party say, yes, Robert Mueller was at the party for us, except for a few hours. And the cops are like, what? And they're like, yeah, he was gone for a few hours. He said he had a doctor's appointment or something. And they're like, really? Late at night? And they're like, yeah. During a rainstorm, he had a doctor's appointment? And they're like, yeah, we didn't really think anything of it now. But now that you're mentioning him, it is a little suspicious, isn't it? And the cops are like, yes, you could have told us that weeks ago. So they contacted Robert Mueller's doctor, and the doctor goes, I never saw him that night. He never stopped by. Now, his alibi starts falling apart. But not only that, the police are putting together that this guy's fairly creepy and... At one point, he's talking to Ed, and he goes, you know, I don't know who killed Janet, but I know how I would have done it. I would have just walked up to the front door and said, hey, Ed sent me here to pick up some poker chips, and she would have let me right inside. And Ed's like, what the hell are you talking about? So there actually was an interrogation, but again, not by the book. They took him out of the city jurisdiction. They take Robert Mueller to this abandoned barn out of police jurisdiction and interview him for hours. Doesn't break. Doesn't break at all. He offers to take a polygraph. He takes a polygraph. He passes the polygraph. So at that point, the cops are like, well, he didn't do it. Now, we know now that polygraph technology isn't 100%. They're like, hey, man, he passed the polygraph, and he didn't break during our basic torture session. So he's most likely innocent. 
But a judge disagreed and said, you know what, I don't agree with that decision, police. I'm going to convene a grand jury. We're going to look at all the evidence, and we're going to see if we can indict this guy. Goes to a grand jury. But when all the police evidence is presented to the grand jury, they say, too much problem with these different police forces trying to investigate this. We have all this different stuff because one police force straight up says it was a stranger who broke in the back window. And then you have this other police force saying, no, it's someone he she knew. So despite all of the weirdness with his alibi and his statements and his creepy behavior, he's never prosecuted. He ends up leaving, dies at the age of 83 in Arizona. The Romax and the Mullers go about their business. Janet had a little sister who ended up going off into college and just kind of moving on with her life. The parents, obviously when I say moving on with their life, obviously they mourned the loss of their daughter and sister. But things just kind of faded away. To this day, no one has ever been successfully prosecuted in any way for the death of Janet Christman. Just a 13-year-old girl, three days shy of her 14th birthday, raped and murdered on a cold, rainy Missouri night. It doesn't have all of the extra creepy details that the urban legend has. But the idea of a lone babysitter, a young woman trapped in a house, being confronted with the ultimate evil, is creepy enough. Whoever did this got away with it. Whoever did this most likely was responsible for the other crimes. And because of the way the police were interacting with these suspects in the past, People were confessing most likely to crimes they did not commit. The guy who was convicted of uh, Mary Lou Jenkins was a murderer. The guy who was peeping outside the window was a peeping Tom. But was he a rapist? Were all of these crimes connected? Nobody knows. And I don't really know if anyone really cares. You think this story would still be floating around out there as one of the big unsolved cases. But it's not. It's been swept away into a sea of unsolved mysteries. What really happened that cold, rainy night? Was she confronted by a man she knew who had always lusted after her, who had a friendly demeanor and walked through the front door before committing the ultimate evil? Or was it a stranger skulking about the house who saw a young girl alone and decided to do something truly despicable? Either way, that person went on with their lives. Someone truly evil continued to live, function, and walk among the rest of the world. And that is scarier than any urban legend. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.